It's January 2nd, 1967, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When Ronald Reagan announced his candidacy for governor of California in 1966, his rival-to-be, the incumbent governor Pat Brown, ridiculed Reagan's lack of experience, saying that while he himself had been serving the public, Reagan was off making Bedtime for Bonzo, a 1951 movie in which Reagan starred alongside a chimpanzee, which must have made it all the more gratifying when Reagan won by a landslide and assembled his team at just after midnight today in history in 19. 1967 to usher in the start of an astonishingly successful political career. And you might imagine that the inauguration of the new governor of California, he himself being a famous actor, you know, in the state that is home to Hollywood, might be a pretty flashy event. But yeah, it took place just after midnight and there were only about 300 people on hand to witness the ceremony at California State Capitol Building in Sacramento. The timing was a deliberate choice. Some say it was to prevent uh, the incumbent governor, Pat Brown, from sneaking in any last minute judicial appointments. But it also apparently received the seal of approval from Nancy Reagan's astrologer on the grounds that Jupiter the king of planets was at its zenith at that time at the time the campaign sought to distance itself from astrology nancy herself claimed the decision was made so the inauguration wouldn't overshadow the rose bowl the biggest event in college football the following day (laughs) an aide told the press he is not guided by the stars nor do we intend to have stargazers in the administration Except it did then become very clear from his memoirs and from reporting afterwards <laughs> that, in fact, Reagan, all the way through, even into the presidency, was guided by the stars and by astrology. And that is pretty Hollywood, isn't it, <laughs> for a thing to happen at your inauguration as governor? Um, Joan Quigley was called the woman who runs the White House by people behind the scenes. And she was this San Franciscan astrologer that Ronnie and Nancy used to consult about everything um, once they were actually in office as president and first lady. But yeah, on this day, 10 minutes past midnight, that's a kooky time, so that is kind of fun to talk about. Everything else about this, actually, it's really dull. Like, if you read the speech that he gave on this day, it is an administrative speech about reducing the budget of local government. (laughs) But its dullness belies the fact that perhaps this was the most ideological candidate the Republicans had fielded for this position in California, which tends to go for sort of centrist Republicans, doesn't it, as governor. And the speeches that got him to this position and would go on really to propel him through to the White House had been really emotional and epic and rabble-rousing speeches. Mm. Uh, One speech in particular, which he gave in 1964, which became known as The Speech. And The Speech took place during the 1964 presidential campaign, and Reagan delivered an address on behalf of California Senator Barry Goldwater that really catapulted him into the national spotlight. It was called A Time for Choosing, and Reagan really laid out his main beliefs to this ballroom filled with just Southern California's wealthiest conservatives. And what he was talking about was the need for vigilance against communism, uh, doubt that the government could solve an individual's problems, opposition to taxes and regulations, and support for state rights. But, you know, really, he was it was such a good speech because 
actually all of the things that he was being criticized for when he was running for uh, California governor made him a really exceptional orator. You know, as a former actor, he was just witty and likable. And the, the speech was so successful that Goldwater actually was encouraged to air it as part of a fundraising commercial, the broadcast of which raised more than $1 million for this campaign. And even though it didn't work out for Goldwater, he's not a president. <laughs> we know. It got the wrong Republican. Yeah, exactly. Everyone watched it and was like, like, who's he talking for yeah, again? We like exactly. him. Can we have yeah. him? And because of all this momentum that he'd already accumulated, you can see why he might have thought it was a good idea to run to be the Republican candidate for president the following year, 1968. He failed. He failed again after leaving office in 1975. He ran against Gerald Ford, who would ultimately lose in the election to Jimmy Carter, whom Reagan would then finally succeed when he did become president. Yeah, it was actually a long ramp to power, which is why... He had to reassure people on the campaign trail that um, if he were to show any sign of declining mental faculties in his presidency, that he would immediately step down. It's kind of hilarious to think of now, because mm. when Reagan's second term ended, he was only 77, which is one year younger than President Biden was when his first term started. And at that point, he was the oldest president ever. When Reagan became president in 1980, the conservative political commentator George Will said, Goldwater won the election of 1964. It just took 16 years to count the votes. I mean, <laughs> it's maybe a bit of an overstatement. You know, a time for choosing didn't really shift the needle on the Goldwater campaign, which is yeah, a little bit underpowered from the off. He lost by the largest margin in history. But it did bring in a new style of conservatism. You know, the thing with Reagan, as we mentioned, he was likable. He was warm and friendly. He was more like a reasonable uncle. You know, he was very... <laughs> A reasonable uncle that seemed, you know, fun at the beginning of the evening and by the end of the evening was talking about bashing yeah. the commies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you read the text of A Time for Choosing, he is basically comparing the Democrats to communist dictators, but he did yeah. so obliquely and he didn't mention the parties by name very much. And he was careful to say, you know, one of the most famous passages, he said, you and I are told we must choose between a left or right, but I suggest there's no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down, up to man's age old dream, the maximum of individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. So he, even though he wasn't in any way nonpartisan, he was good at giving the impression that he was just an ordinary common sense person. He wasn't tied down to party politics. And also, if you think about the way that conservatives were stereotyped in the 1960s, you had the kind of fulminating southern, you know, frothing at the mouth politicians opposing civil rights, and then sort of dry, puritanical, waspy conservatives in the Northeast. He was this different breed. He was, you know, a California conservative, and he was offering this new brand of politics. And that training that he had as an actor is absolutely crucial, isn't mm. it? And it's, it's what marked him out for the TV era of politics. You know, it's why ultimately he won the TV debate against Jimmy Carter. He was more convincing playing the part of ordinary person who wants to be president. <laughs> there was a brilliant bit, speaking of uh, that, during the campaign for the governorship of California, where Reagan was just immediately popular, but people really were questioning his uh, clout as a politician. And when one reporter asked him how he'd perform in office, Reagan replied, I don't know. I've never played a governor. And it was just this sort of brilliant, <laughs> possibly scripted, but at least sounding as though it was off the cuff stuff that made him just work so well as kind of the future of the Republican Party and now kind of the, its, its great uh, sort of grandfather that every more reasonable Republican looks back to. But he also had this, as you say, this sort of new form of Republicanism that was being hosted 
honed under his time as governor, where he really kind of transposed that initial idea that he was anti-communist into being this pro-police law and order kind of guy. And that became hugely influential and it became like the thing that Nixon ran on. And then Nixon's success itself made way for Reagan. You know, they sort of had this feedback loop that benefited them both. Yeah, and the fact that Reagan would come to be remembered as this arch-conservative is all the more interesting given the fact that he was born into a working-class family to politically progressive parents, and he himself was known as being a liberal through most of his you know, young life. He'd first become involved in drama at school, and then he became a baseball radio announcer, took a screen test, and ended up with a contract at Warner Brothers. Happens to us all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, he had a very short... This is, this is the other thing as well. Because he became president, he was then remembered as the actor who became president. But he wasn't actually a famous movie star at any point. He had a very short burst of fame. After undergoing military service in World War II, his career never really regained momentum. So he spent the rest of his screen career in Westerns, TV and supporting roles. And as you mentioned, acting alongside chimpanzees. (laughs) And in 1947, he got his first taste of elected office. He became the president of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. At this point, he was still a Democrat and known for being progressive, particularly on racial issues, labor unions. But what happened from the 1950s onward was basically what happened to a whole generation of Hollywood stars that had been known as being left wing to the point of socialist in the 1930s in the post-war years they'd become increasingly preoccupied with the threat of communism and the shift in society and so by the 1960s you had this whole generation of hollywood stars who were coming out to help reagan in his campaign because they had also shifted to the right But as soon as he gets into office, he presided over this incredibly large tax increase. He was also quite anti-gun and pro-abortion. And these are kind of positions that were really not in tune with the kind of conservatism that we look back on and think of as being his core platform. And at the same time, he was such a (laughs) reputedly lazy leader. And there was this quote about his laziness that became notorious, where he uh, made this joke. He said, it's true that hard work never killed anybody, but I figured why take the chance? It's quite nice that he had this vein of self-deprecating humour, don't you think? Definitely. Because again, if you look at the people immediately around him, Nixon, George Bush Sr., you know, these are not people that made jokes at their own expense, particularly. I think that's part of his appeal he did have a charm which was home yeah and it never escaped him you know that even when he was almost assassinated in his first year as being president by john w hinckley jr he was taken to hospital and the thing that he did when he got there was that he joked with doctors as he was being wheeled into the operating room he said i hope you're all republicans <laughs> you know he just like even on his potential deathbed he was still able to kind of summon humor whilst presumably calling the astrologer and saying why didn't you warn yeah. me about this <laughs> tomorrow the soldiers had no mercy they showered their lead into the smoke Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.